Good afternoon, and welcome to the Snake River Lib podcast. It is the 22nd of February of 2023. It is Wednesday. Uh, for those of you who care, not that one way or the other, it's Washington's actual birthday, George Washington's actual birth date, February 22nd. Thank you so much for listening. There's a lot of things I want to talk about today. As we try to do this, we think that maybe we've solved the issues with my microphone and the computer. Uh, I've been doing it on my iPhone the last few times. Not super thrilled with how that works. Uh, It's easy. Don't get me wrong. I just um, am more comfortable with the desktop. Call me a dinosaur. Um, Senator John Fetterman, a senator from uh, Pennsylvania, uh, just elected this past November, um, has checked himself into uh, Walter Reed Hospital uh, to be treated for clinical depression. Now, for if you remember, Senator Fetterman was um, had a stroke during the Democrat primary, and um, it was obvious that it was not the minor stroke. I mean, they after all installed a pacemaker and and uh, uh, some other things as a result of the stroke, but his ability to communicate was heavily. Uh, had, had was heavily uh, impacted, I can't believe I just used impact as a verb, by the stroke, his ability to communicate, um, either to hear um, in particular. Uh, in fact, they've gone to great lengths in the Senate to allow him to function, and the problem is, is that he really can't function in the Senate. Now, for those that were paying attention, everybody knew that this was going to be an issue, uh, Democrats ran him anyway. Democrats put him up there. His wife put him up there. They did let the bat, the rabbit out of the bag when they said that, uh, yeah, you know, that she would be a great Senator. Somebody once said that inadvertently, and I suspect that's what will happen. But here's the thing right now that takes the Senate down to 49, 50 majority still with Democrats, uh, 50 instead of the 51. But the problem is, of course, is you have Kristen Cinema, who is an independent, and she's going to try to stake out middle ground uh, for her re-election campaign coming up in 2024. And she has been one. She's been one that has not wanted to get rid of the filibuster. And she's also, um, she's not conservative, don't get me wrong. You know, too many Republicans get caught up on, on this or that progressive that Really, all they are is about freedom of speech or whatever. And Kristen Cinema, her thing is, is the uh, um, filibuster. And Joe Manchin, who also is up in twenty twenty four, and he's going to have to be very careful on his votes over the next two years, because even though he is very popular in West Virginia, even more popular than he is the Republican Party. And just because they haven't been able to put up somebody against him yet, he could be, because of his role that he has in the Senate right now, as one of these ones that are the middle of the road, he's going to have to actually be middle of the road. And so that causes the Democrats to not have that plus one 
while John Fetterman's out. And they say that he'll be out up to a month. If there was any serious legislation coming through uh, that they needed him, my guess is that he would announce that he was going to resign and that would be that. And the Democrat uh, governor would appoint somebody to fill or to fill in until whatever their process. I haven't looked and see what Pennsylvania's process is for when a senator is unable to fulfill their term. Speaking of the Senate, uh, Senator Sanders, the Democratic Socialist from Vermont, uh, has a book to, book out. He's on a book tour right now, and he's been asked uh, about the fact that Ticketmaster, which is managing the availability on the book tour, uh, is the tickets for his book tour are upwards of $95 once the uh, ticket fees or the Ticketmaster's fees are f- factored in. And he was asked about how he rationalizes his his uh, socialism with this purely crass capitalist uh, adventure of somebody selling tickets, not only selling tickets, you know, which is understandable. But if I have a chance at the end, I'll talk about that. Uh, but but making. Uh, quite a bit of profit off of Senator Sanders' book tour. And he doesn't have an answer for it. I mean, he could be going out there on his own dime. I mean, somebody has three houses, maybe he could sell a house, you know, fund his own book tour and not charge anybody anything. Actually, I'll just talk about it now. You know, I hear all these people talk about socialism or, you know, how good socialism is, especially coming out of academia. I would say to that professor who espouses socialism, are you living on campus with campus-provided housing and campus-provided meals and you're not receiving any money? Are your books ridiculously expensive or are they cost only uh, for the publishing? The books that you require your students to buy or at least rent. Because if you're not living on campus, in campus-provided housing, modest means, eating at a cafeteria, or um, provided a stipend for you to go and buy groceries but not enough to eat out, then shut up. Okay, I said it. Let's move on, shall we? There's a, a big, big piece I wanted to talk about, and then we're going to go take a break. Um, the Supreme Court, there's a couple cases. The highlighted case is Gonzalez versus Google. And what this is in regards to is the Communications Decency Act and Section 230. Now, Section 230, I've mentioned that numerous times, but what it does specifically is it protects um, these platform providers, uh, protects them from liability for content that ends up on their platform. Power off. Um, so they technically can't be sued. Well, they not technically they can't. However, the case Gonzalez versus Google, what it is in regards to is uh, the case is named for Noemi. Per, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Gonzalez, who was killed in Paris 
in, during an ISIS attack in 2015. And leading up to the attack, videos uh, were put on YouTube, which is owned by Google. And so the plaintiff, which is for on behalf of the deceased, probably the deceased family, the plaintiff is saying that that YouTube should have moderated that and should have taken these violent videos off. And of course, Google is saying, well, wait a minute, we're protected from, we, we don't have liability here. We're just a platform. Here's where their argument fails. They censor things that they don't like. Disinformation, remember that term? During COVID, disinformation regarding parents at school board meetings, disinformation regarding gender affirming care. Many, many things have been censored by the social media platforms, whether it's Google. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Russian collusion. Just to name a few. And the problem is, is that they censor those things. And so my question is this. You say you're a platform and you claim immunity because you're not responsible for the content and yet you censor content. So tell me, how does that work out? This will be a very interesting case. And, and hopefully, ideally, what I would like to see the Supreme Court do is I would like to see a ruling that says, inasmuch as you do selectively censor you are a de facto publisher. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to correct the problem. And you can correct the problem in one of two ways. You can either go and pull any content that could give you liability, consistent with what you've done for, for um, ideas, ideologies, that you disagree with. If you do it across the board, then you're safe. Conversely, if you get rid of your filters and your selective censoring, except for when the case of things like child pornography and things that are truly illegal, If you don't censor, censor everything but those things which are illegal, you know, that's, that's your dilemma. Um, because, and I don't know, I could see that going that way with Gorsuch and maybe enough uh, middle of the rotors that you could say, you know what, we don't want to 
we don't want to lower the boom because I don't think that anybody can anticipate how horrible these social media platforms are going to be if if we're going to say that they are liable uh, as platforms for the content. Because the censorship is going to be enormous. In reality, what they should do is just the opposite. They should go and, and go out of their way to sanitize or to to get rid of their censor departments except for, you know, make sure that the illegal things are not posted. I mean, I guarantee you that they're very good at censoring things in China because China wouldn't let them operate otherwise. But what we want them to do is to not censor except for very, very few things. That's the bottom line. We'll see what happens. Right now, there's there's not a lot of... Uh, I mean... On one hand, you're saying, hey, these terrorists have posted these videos. What are you doing about it? And this goes back to the Benghazi thing I talked about yesterday on the video. By the way, let me know how, what you thought of that, if you were able to actually watch it. Um, otherwise, it's just another audio podcast to you. I get it. But, you know, the Benghazi thing where they said, you know, that it was all about a video. And so they went and they hunted down the video maker and they charged him with all sorts of crimes. And it was all a lie. If they truly want to be free from that liability, then they really need to back off on their selective censoring. And I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Snake River Live. This is that one went a little bit longer than what I thought. And so we're going to probably not have as long of a segment on this side of it. Thank you so much for listening, by the way. I do appreciate uh, my few uh, uh, listeners. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, I mentioned about Tucker Carlson having the uh, video footage from January 6th or access to it. And I have no doubt that we'll start to be seeing some very selective clips. What Tucker needs to do, hopefully he'll do this, and he's a pretty smart guy, so I suspect he will. Um, he's going to have somebody, an official from the archives or from whoever is, is over these videos to certify that the videos that are being posted are not edited and cut and spliced. Raw video footage it is what needs to be out there for people to see. That's what it has to be, because otherwise, anything less than that, he is going to be uh, people are going to say, well, this is just a hack job. This is this is a conspiracy, et cetera, et cetera. But it's funny that the people, and I mentioned this just briefly yesterday, the people that were screaming that are screaming the loudest all had access to all this footage. As a reminder for the January 6th committee, 
minority leader, then minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, had put forward Jim Banks and and um, boy, you know, you you hate it when when the name just escapes you. Uh, congressman from Ohio, very vocal, and I'm just drawing a complete bank, blank, and I'm not going to go look it up, but um, these two people onto the committee, the January 6th committee, as for the minority, and Nancy Pelosi refused to let them on. That's part of one of the, the purge things with uh, Schiff for Brains and, and uh, Swalwell, as well as uh, uh, the woman that married her brother, Ilhan Omar. Um I didn't say they had any kind of marital relations. I just said that she married her brother, and that appears to be the case. But forgive me if I'm mistaken. But all these people, you know, the January 6th committee was there. It was like it was like a prosecutor presenting to a grand jury. There was no uh, there was no countering evidence. There was no uh, uh, cross examination. It was all one sided. We saw what the former ABC producer that put it together wanted us to see. The committee members saw, I think Raskin, no, 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 it was not Raskin. Raskin wasn't the head of the committee, but he was on it. The, the members of the committee saw the predetermined narrative. Convicted a few people or referred for prosecution a few people for refusing to testify and being held in contempt. I wonder if that'll happen with this new committee that's looking at the weaponization of the government against uh, conservatives. (laughs) But all this footage was available to them. And so here's the thing. What happens if certified video comes out and shows these people being allowed in? It shows these people, while being rowdy, were not holding members of Congress hostage, etc., etc., in insurrection form. doesn't change the fact they were trespassing, I get it. But, you know, there was a lot of violence when Donald Trump was inaugurated in Washington, D.C. There were a lot of places that were windows smashed, fires set, etc. And nobody cared about those. Nobody cared about the, uh, um, the George Floyd protests that ransacked inner cities across the country. And the ones that did care on the left, they certainly, um, what did they do? They set up bail funds for people, that, the, few, the few that actually were arrested, to get them out. Forty-one thousand hours of video footage. It'll be interesting to see what is shown. Finally. The last thing that I wanted to talk about, and I posted a couple videos, well, one video, I actually posted both on the Lib and over on my personal Facebook page, 
uh, by the way, you know, Snake River Lib is the, is the Facebook page for uh, this side of me, and then of course my own personal Facebook page. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is a is an entrepreneur, um, very successful one, Indian American, thirty seven years old. And he's running for the Republican nomination for president. He just announced that yesterday. It's no surprise at all on Tucker Carlson. I posted the video, and I'll probably attach the video link uh, to this as well for those who don't do Facebook. And but you want to might maybe go look at at the address for him. Not a paid advertiser, of course, but I don't mind. Uh, Vivek24.com. My first impressions, and we got a long ways to go, but I've always enjoyed listening to him on on Fox Business. Uh, he's been on with all sorts of people. He says uh, the right things. He he refers to the bureaucracy as a cancer on the American dream, which it is. You know, the lib is not bashful in pointing out. Uh, Full disclosure, I was part of that bureaucracy, but not at a high enough level where I was able to actually dictate policy. All I had to do was react to the policy that the bureaucrats established. Provide input, yes, and then that input's ignored and they do what they wanted. But these people that set policy are unaccountable and they're not elected. And they practically can't be fired. We all know that, right? Federal employees are next to impossible to fire a federal employee, or rather, not so much impossible to fire them, but to keep them fired. And nobody's going to fire a bureaucrat anyway, because when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with with non-concrete stuff, meaning that they're not involved in an operation, but all they have to, all their job is, is is putting out regulation. You know, what kind of time frame do they need on that? But these people are unelected, and they're not not accountable to anyone. They're not even accountable to Congress. I mean, technically they are. But unless you get some sort of change in Congress, in Congress' congressional attitude, and it has to be with teeth. You know, the oversight committee, if the oversight committee barks and says, we want you over here, if, if, they, don't fear, if, if they don't fear not coming, or if you watch, and you can go on, you know, believe me, this is something that I, it's a dirty, dirty thing that I do, is sit and watch committee hearings and watch these appointees, especially the political appointees, not answer questions. You know, until their feet are held to the fire, which we might see with the uh, potential Mayorkas impeachment uh, of uh, Homeland Security. Nothing will ever change. And so Ramaswamy's right when he says that this bureaucracy is a cancer that is just metastasized across our daily lives. You know, the federal government, as the founders foresaw it, or as the founders uh, put it together, was not going to have hardly any impact on individuals. 
you know, the only time that individuals would run into the federal government was across straight lines, interstate commerce, true interstate commerce, not not the fact that because you're growing your own corn, you're in, you have an impact on interstate commerce because you're not buying your corn from someone else, which is the ruling back in the 30s, which gave them this omnipotent power. But truly, you know, taking a minor across state lines for devious purposes, kidnapping, etc. I mean, most of the vast majority of charges that are federal charges should not be. And to defend our borders. Could you imagine if the federal government spent half as much time defending their borders as they did trying to craft regulations to screw you and me over? So he's saying that uh, Vivek is saying the right things. He's a center-right. He's not going to be any hardcore ide ideologue. Most importantly, he may have said favorable things of Donald Trump, but he's not directly connected to him that I'm aware of. Now, we'll find out, right? Because the media, if he is perceived to be a serious candidate which he should be. And if I was the Republicans, I would be looking for somebody that was not attached. I mean, you think about who you've got. You've got Mike Pompeo, hasn't jumped in yet, considering he was Secretary of State, Director of CIA for Donald Trump. Mike Pence. He was the hero of January 6th because he didn't, cave to Donald Trump. But make no mistake, were he to get the nomination, he would be Donald Trump 2.0. The same with Nikki Haley. I mean, even Ron DeSantis does have Trump baggage. Because Donald Trump came in Florida in 2018, and many, I think, rightly consider Donald Trump's support is instrumental in Ron DeSantis becoming the governor of Florida. Now, not for his re-election, but for his original run for governor. And so even DeSantis does have Trump baggage. I don't think that Vivek does. I saw him on Stuart Varney this morning. Um, I've watched the clip from Tucker Carlson last night. He's saying the right things. How does that translate? It depends on how much money he can raise and um, where the Republican voters are. If they perceive that Trump is toxic, which they should, They may love him, but Donald Trump is the only one, only candidate besides Joe Biden that's going to go in where you're going to have not a majority, but a significant number of people in the American population that will not vote for him and will vote for anybody but them. Republicans need to be paying attention. 
He supports the American dream. He supports the the rights of an individual. Vivek Ramaswamy does. I'm probably butchering the name. I'm sorry, but it's very important. Um, I urge you to go and watch his introductory video for his uh, presidential campaign, and go and Google or or go on to Rumble or onto uh, YouTube and watch his interview with Tucker Carlson. Can he beat Trump? Republicans lose if Trump is the nominee, I think. And I don't think anybody else can touch him, Trump. And can Vivek? It's real iffy. But it has to be somebody that's not associated. That's my opinion. My life matters to yours. It's the Snake River Lib.